0: Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Thank you for being with us today. My name is Mike, one of the pastors here. And I am sure most of you have noticed that most every story, there is a rogue, a foe, an outlaw, an enemy, a villain. So bring it out. Who's your favorite villain that you kind of love to hate? Who is it? What's that? Loki, okay. In the Marvel universe, what else? The Joker in the uh, Batman scenario, what else? What? The Sith? What's that? Biff? Biff from Back to the Future? Wow. <laughs> Okay, man, that took a while to get to. Anybody else? Hannibal Lecter. How about, I am your father, Luke. Uh, Darth Vader, there is a number of ones that are out there. Uh, these sources of evil cause hurt and harm and thwart the hero. Uh, and in the a, in a fantasy fiction world, uh, they add contrast, uh, a conflict to overcome and really kind of entertaining. However, when it comes to real life, our life, when we face a foe, an enemy, it's not entertaining. We are sobered up and attentive because the truth is there is an enemy. In the Bible, the truth tells us so and is clear. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Not, not some comical guy with a pitchfork and horns, but a wartime predator that wants to bring harm like a ravenous lion to render those faithful followers of Jesus Ineffective and distracted, and so hurt they can't get up and fight. And to those who are not yet believers in Jesus, as 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This enemy is at work, both with believers and those who are not yet believers. And this enemy is very real. And he and his minions are relentless and powerful. They have already lost the major battle, but continue to work their evil ways. So the question comes how do we deal with this enemy? Now, the Bible book of Job gives us three strategies in dealing with our enemy. And so I want for us this morning to explore the, the person of Job and his book and how we might stand firm against the enemy for embracing the biblical view of our enemy helps us live the victory we have in Jesus. Now, before we get into this study, if you wouldn't mind standing to your feet and let's pray and uh, and ask God to challenge us. Last week, if you're with us, uh, Justin brought with us a book, the book of Esther, which uh, never mentions God. And now we're dealing with Job, which mentions the enemy. So you're getting a good amount of insight in here, but it really is all full of the name of God all throughout the Bible book of Job. But let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and just recognize there is an enemy. Uh, He's not you and anywhere like you. But God, we know that this enemy has schemes and, and tactics and we want to be wary of those and know how to be able to fight against this enemy to be able to stand firm. And so Father, I'm asking that you would challenge us and encourage us and help us this morning. And by Lord, your power, I'm asking that you would push back any evil, Uh, in our place and, and around us. And Lord, may we hear clearly the truth of your word, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat, and I encourage you to take out uh, that worship folder that uh, was talked about uh, when Pastor John was up here. Inside there, there's that card. We would love a prayer request on the back. Stick it in the offering plate when it's passed. There's an outline in there. There's some blanks to fill in. The answers up on the screen. If you're online, you can find this outline, or if you can't find it online, then just simply grab a piece of paper and write down some things. I also encourage you, and I know this one's online for sure, is that there's a study guide that's available out in the lobby. If you go out these double doors and turn left. There's a resource desk there. This is in there, has all the extra verses I mentioned. Again, they're online and available to you. There's some great links uh, to be able to get to and encourage you to look at those that will help you as you study not only the Bible book of Job, but actually dealing with the enemy as you walk through this today. Uh, Our hope is that you would take this time in God's word and use it as a launch pad for some personal study and continue on in that. That's why we have a revive section on our webpage to help revive your soul in that. There's also a link to a podcast that we do most every week. Encourage you to tune into that. You can do that anytime. Well, the Bible book of Job, I, I know some, when I first came to Christ, I opened it up and wow, look, there's a book about jobs. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's how you work, you know? And, and Well, it could be because it's a lot about suffering, but so I don't know. But it's, it's, the Bible book of Job is a very interesting book. Um, and uh, again, check out the links that will help you. There's some good videos giving you an overview. But it is the oldest book of the Bible uh, that we have been able to find the oldest manuscripts of. And there's a number of interesting things about the Bible book of Job you may not have known. It actually mentions scientific truths even before they were discovered. Uh, For instance, at at a time when it was believed the earth sat on a large animal, I think a giant turtle to some, and or a giant on the back of that, Job spoke of the earth freely floating in space. That's found in Job chapter 26, verse seven. Science didn't discover that uh, until around 1650. Light waves and radio waves are mentioned in Job. And that wasn't discovered by science until 1864. And that's found in Job chapter 38, verse 35. Job speaks of dinosaurs. Uh, this is all, also affirms that, that dinosaurs were still in existence after the flood. If you want some scripture for that, Job chapter 40, verses 15 to 24, or Job chapter 41, verses 1 to 34. Uh, the book is also evidence that there is an evil one. And, and that evil one is not some Christian invention, but it has been, uh, uh, that it, it has been recognized long before Christianity. It's, it's found in Job chapter 1, uh, verse, uh, uh, that th- is th- really the whole chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, the Bible book of Job is right after the Bible book of Esther. We looked at the Bible book of Esther last week. And it's part of what is called the wisdom literature. There's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And Job brings an insight that uh, more is happening beyond our own human reality. And yes, that God is wise and that, yes, God is just. And yes, there is suffering. See, a lot of people thought when we talked about suffering last week, we should have looked at the book of Job well, Job does have a lot, talks a lot about suffering as well. And Job did suffer. And it talks about how it's good to be honest and to talk and to vent your feelings and your sufferings and to trust in God's help and his reasons and his comfort. But some of that suffering is due to an enemy all of us have. Job brings out an eye opening scene in heaven where God is bragging about Job, actually the first part of the, open up to the Bible book of Job, uh, chapter one, uh, in in verse one, it says this. There was a man from the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. Uh, Job is an amazing guy. He's the, you know, the, the, the ultimate looking of a believer. He loves God. He gives God all the glory. He tithes, he helps out. He, he helps other people. He has a beautiful family, tons of kids and all of that. Just a, his businesses are thriving. And then the Bible book of Job turns to a very interesting scene in heaven. It's, it's a little bit crazy and a little bit bizarre, but what happens is, as this happens in Job chapter one, verses six to 11, there seems to be this scene in heaven where God is up there and he's, he's kind of talking to all of his heavenly beings and he begins to brag about Job. Wow, consider my servant Job. He's an amazing guy. And all of a sudden, what seems to kind of cut the crowd comes in this person called the accuser. The actually Hebrew word for that is Satan. What does that sound like? Satan but this Satan comes and, and accuses and pushes back against God. And basically says, the only reason Job follows you, God is because you protect him from harm. And so the unthinkable happened. God says, okay, you can do whatever you want with Job to spare his health. And this accuser, this Satan goes out and horrible things happen. His whole family is killed except his wife. His crops are taken. His land is taken. And listen to what happens in Job chapter 1, verses 20, and 20 to 22. Then Job arose, his ro- tore his robes and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. You see, this gives light to the accuser, this Satan. He is relentless. And in chapter two, he goes on and he afflicts horrible disease onto Job where he's having to sit and scrape his wounds And it's horrible because this accuser, this satan, this evil one wants to hurt us, wants to hurt us image bearers of God and God's family. One of the reasons he wants to get at us because he can't get at God, but he gets at the ones he loves. It reminds me of a story of my son, Josh. Uh, Josh was uh, uh, in elementary school And he was a fairly outspoken believer, loved God, talked about that quite a bit. And people knew that his dad was a pastor. Well, he happened to be in one uh, person's class. And this teacher, uh, her husband had a a horrible accident and she blamed God. And she took it out on my son. Actually, Christy and I, in one of the parent-teacher conferences, had to sit down and just say, is there anything, does he do anything right? Right. And she realized that she was being unfair to him and hurting him because she felt disdain towards God. The enemy wants to hurt us because he feels disdain towards God. You see, the enemy is constantly accusing. The enemy is constantly out there. The enemy does far worse for us He's the accuser, he's the Satan, he is the devil, he's the evil one, a foe, our enemy. So I'd like for us to explore these three strategies in dealing with this enemy for embracing the biblical view of our enemy helps us live the victory we have in Jesus. The first is to know the enemy is limited. In Job chapter one and chapter two, this accuser, this Satan has to ask God permission. He can't just do anything he wants to. He's limited. And in the end, he will get his, Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. God will and does limit this enemy. Please know that this enemy is not all powerful. He is a created being. He is not equal with God In any way, he is created like all existence. He's beautiful, he's powerful, and yet pride and sin changed him, and he was expelled from heaven. If you want a reference verse to that, write down Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight, verses twelve to seventeen. This enemy is also not omnipresent. See, God is omnipresent; he can be personally everywhere, all the time, at once. The enemy can't. He's limited. But he does oversee a horde of demons called the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, as Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 talk about. Our enemy has a network to tempt and deceive people like us. Now, the enemy is powerful. We learn in Job chapter 1, verse 16 and 19 that he can change the weather. He caused a storm to come in and wind to blow and the house was flattened and killed all of Job's kids. We know that he incites people to do horrible things. In Job chapter one, verses 15 and 17, he incited people to come and attack and kill the flocks of Job. And he attempts he tempts people to sin like Jesus. Matthew chapter four, Jesus was led out into the wilderness, tempted by the enemy. And also the fateful time in Genesis chapter three, where he used a serpent to tempt Eve and Eve did sin and causing sin to spread through all mankind. Remember Romans says for all of sin and fallen ashore of the glory of God because of what happened with Eve in the garden. We're just respect his power to be attentive to his tactics, but know this and you ought to write this verse down and memorize it. First John chapter four, verse four, it says little children, you are from God. And you have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. We are to know that and believe that because the enemy, even in his deceptions, wants you to think that he is all powerful, but he's not. He's limited. God is greater. And we know the victory that Jesus has rescued us from the enemy's grip. We read part of that verse in in, in Colossians chapter one, verses 13, but let's look at verse 14 as well. It says, he, God, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. You see, though we are all born into sin, we have all sinned and fallen short of the good glory of God and separated from God, that sin separates us from God. Christ came, he showed us how to interact with God, but he also went to the cross paying the penalty for our sin that if we want to be connected with God, part of God's family under his protection, we can come by that by through faith, believing that we're sinful, that we need a savior, and that it's Jesus. And that's when you become a follower of Jesus, when you step into that. Many of you have made that choice. Some of you are still on the way and keep investigating that. Keep exploring and understanding so that you can come to that place where you come in part of God's family. And in that, you are protected. For when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a, a, a an asterisk and an exclamation point and a surety that we do have victory over sin. If Jesus rose from the grave we know that we can be saved in him. Amen? Amen. And embracing the biblical view of our enemy helps us live the victory we have in Jesus. See, don't be swayed or deceived. Go to the truth of God's word and that truth will set you free. To deal with the, the enemy is to know that he is limited, but also be attentive to the enemy's tactics. See, the enemy does want to hurt you. Yes, he appears like an angel of light sometimes, but he is not for you. You will always get bit in the end. And he's roaming around like a predator, seeking lives to mess over. We're in that state of hurt and and devastation and taking on that victim mentality, he has us in his grip. And so we're caught up in ourselves and care nothing for God and his good way of life. Second Corinthians is a 11 verse three is a warning, but I'm afraid Paul says to the Corinthian believers and says to us that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see the enemy's aim for us believers is to lead us astray, to get us to sin. For when we sin, we say to sin is to not, follow God's way. When we sin, we say, God, I don't want your way. I, and you turn, we turn our back on him and we go our way or the enemy's way. And when we're in that state of turning away from God, God never leaves us or forsake us, but we don't experience the, the joy of life in him. And we don't experience the, the, the pathway that God has for us. And it's difficult to, to know when we are astray And this enemy implants thoughts and designs circumstances and manipulates moments so that we are tempted to disobey God. James 1 verses 14 and 15 put it this way. But each person is tempted when he is lured. You ever been fishing and use a fishing lure? You do that because it attracts. It attracts the fish so they can get caught and we are lured in. Because the enemy knows what attracts us. He studied us. He knows us. Just like the the, the those who are work in social media know you by what you scroll through and what you look up in your searches. They know you so that they can put the advertising there to lure you in. Well, the enemy is way better than that. And he lures us in. A person is sent away when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. When desire it has conceived, gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. There's a a very interesting story in the Old Testament about this progression moving from being lured in to actually to sinning. It's found in Joshua chapter 7. If you have your Bible, open up to the Bible book of Joshua. It's just a few back from uh, Job, the book of Joshua. Go to chapter seven, and, and towards the end of that chapter, we'll mention it. Chapter uh, verses twenty to twenty uh, uh, one. But what happened is, is that God had told the nation, "Go and and destroy and 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 conquer this other city, but don't take any of the spoils. Don't take anything there. Just leave it there. You go conquer the city and then come back." Well, they came back, and all of a sudden things happen, and. God said, hey, there is sin in your camp. Somebody took something they shouldn't have taken. And so they went through a whole, it's a very interesting story. You should read it. uh, Go through in in chapter seven and and how they weed out the person who who committed this sin. And it was found out to be a guy named Achan. And in verse 20, it says this, and Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. Capture the uh, progression here when I saw among the spoils, a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent and with the silver underneath. You can see what happens to Achan. You can say he was really Achan after that, but I know it's bad. We're also serious talking about the enemy. I had to give you something. But you can see that progression. He saw it. The lure was out there. He saw it. He was tempted. And then it happened. He coveted it. He wanted it so bad that he reached out and he took it. And he not only took it, he hid it. And that same progression happens to us when we are lured away. The enemy knows you, he knows your tendency, and he knows what lures to throw out. And we'll give you later some more ways to deal with that, but he uses lures, be aware of that and know what God's will is and his way is. As well, the enemy incites fear. First Peter 5, 8, be of sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't know if you've ever really heard a lion's roar one time I was in the zoo and I heard a roar and just a shiver went up and down my body because it just brought fear. You know, all the little um, hair on the arm was stood up and that because it's fearful because you know teeth and pain and running for your life will soon follow. When we are fearful, we're not wise. The enemy knows that. Think of all those animal videos you've seen where the lion's running around the and the gazelles are running in fear and they don't know where they're going. And, and, and he catches the one that's most confused. When I think about that, I look at how many relationships that were and are still damaged because of the fear of the pandemic. Anxiety is fear turned inward. And the enemy even uses people close to us. If you go back to uh, to Job Chapter two, looking towards the end of that chapter, verses nine and 10, even Job's wife, the enemy is using to create discouragement with Job. Then his wife, verse nine, said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Cursed God and die. But Job answers, you speak as one of the foolish women. I I don't agree with, don't, don't say that to your wife. but Job did that women would, the foolish women would speak still. We receive, shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil in all this? Job did not sin with his lips. The the enemy is good at what he does. He really is. He's a master tactician and he is able to create that to lure you in. And the enemy wants to do each of us harm. Know his tactics, but remember he's limited. God is greater. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. And Jesus has already won. Yes, we need to be wise. Know when you're getting played. There's a a great book out. It's kind of interesting. It's called uh, The Screwtape Letters. Any of you heard of that? It's it's written by C.S. Lewis. He does in a very comically yet, insightful way. He has uh, 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 one demon write to another demon. Uh, Uncle Screwtape is writing to his nephew, uh, Wormwood, and he writes them about the tactics of the enemy. It's a little comical, but yet you see them, you go, whoa, it's almost you want to read just one letter at a time as you go through that to understand because it's all biblical. See, embracing the biblical view of our enemy helps us live the victory we have in Jesus. One more strategy in dealing with our enemy, it is to practice the rise of resistance. Many of you know the Star Wars universe. A new uh, set of movies came out just a little bit on Disney Plus, but the evil empire fueled by the dark side of the force is taking over the galaxy, yet a rebellion started helped by the good side of the force, brings a rise in the resistance. It makes a great story and highlights our main strategy in dealing with the enemy. James chapter four, verse seven. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word resist means to push back, to oppose, to stand your ground. So how do we practice this rise of resistance? Let me give you just six ways. And this is where I really hope you hone in on this, take some good notes and dive into this. The first one is to put on the armor of God. Write down Ephesians chapter six, verses 13 to 18. In that, uh, Paul is writing to the Ephesian believers in, in Ephesus. He's telling them how to handle the enemy. He says, put on some armor, put on the belt of truth, the truth of God's word and to trust it, to know that his sayings are true the blessed plate of righteousness to live life God's way, to put and cover your feet with the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus has conquered sin on the cross. And then when we follow him, living life his way, that's the best life ever. And then to put on the helmet of salvation to come to that place of life where we believe in Jesus and to take up the shield of faith that we trust and believe, even though the enemy throws at us all kinds of fiery darts, we can stand against it because we trust in God more. And to hold up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, one of the greatest uh, places to begin to study that, uh, not only is Ephesians chapter six, but if you come open to your uh, devotional that I hope you all have. And if you're a guest with us today, please pick one of these up. They're in the lobby area and just, you would be blessed by that. But in week five, it talks about each one of those elements of the armor of God. Right here on page 92. Please pick one of these up if you haven't already. And this week, as you study in there, lean in on those elements of the armor of God, because one of the way we practice the rise of resistance is to put on that armor. Next is to know the Bible. They are, and, and to pray. Ephesians goes on and talks about that, to understand God's word. This is my, uh, one of my first Bibles I got when I first came to Christ. And what's on the front of it is a sword. <laughs> because I knew that this is the way to handle against the enemy. Actually, inside here are some of my decision cards from Hume Lake. Here's one from 1978, August 25th, 1978. It says on here, to put on the full armor of God, to practice the sport of the spirit. I wanted to get into God's word and to know it well, so that I would be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy, because I could be able to come and recite God's truth. That's why that sword is there. (laughs) You know, and I used to fight, come on. Uh, that's how we do it. We're not strong enough, but the word of truth is we're to know the Bible and to pray, to pray, to take time and talk to the author of heaven and earth and to ask of him help and protection. We pray this morning, every Sunday morning, we gather together here and we pray because we know it's only by God's power that things happen. It's only by God's power that we can resist and stand firm against the enemy. One is to gain victory over strongholds. Here's another, and actually this is the, I think it's probably the most powerful day when you study this whole of this, all of this whole series is found on page 104, all the way through to page 109. It talks about strongholds. You see, a stronghold is when we give the enemy a foothold in our life. And we give the enemy a foothold in our life when we sin. He gives him an open opportunity to come in. And some of the strongholds, the footholds in our life are because of issues that happened way in our past. And the enemy leverages those. They're kind of our our favorite sins. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what your favorite sin is. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Don't, don't do that. The enemy already knows. And why do you think you're tempted in all of those areas? Because the enemy knows your weakness. He knows your strongholds. And so the way to deal with them in this, this chapter gives you an excellent way to deal with them. It goes through and mentions a number of them. And you know, like one of the strongholds is bitterness. The example is resentment, hate, unforgiveness, anger, violence, and revenge. And the lie that we listen to with this stronghold is that I have power and protection when I don't forgive others. Now the answer to that is to forgive. There's some verses in that, and it goes through a number of one of those. This could be the most life-changing moment for you and give you the greatest protection against the enemy if you would do this. Please, if you don't have one of these books, pick one up and walk through that, at least that day. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I don't need no uh, devotional. Maybe your stronghold is control. It's in there. (laughs) Control. Manipulation, lack of trust, worry, seeking recognition, the lie we buy into, I can control my life. The answer to that is surrender. To surrender to the Lord and listen to his word. See, we're to put on the armor of God. We're to know the Bible and pray. We're to gain victory over strongholds. Next, we're to look for the escape when the temptation comes. When the lure is out there and the temptation is woo I saw it, I saw that, that, that uh, uh, cloak, I saw that silver, I saw that gold. When we see that temptation, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen is clear. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that we may be able to endure it. There is always a way of escape. Every single time you are lured in, the temptation is there, you saw this amazing thing that you wanted to enter in that you know that God didn't want you to do, there's always a way out. You know, some guys tell me, Mike, I just I just I, I don't know how to deal with this pornography issue. Turn off the computer. That's your escape. Get out of the situation, go hang around some friends and 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 get yourself occupied with other things. Look for the escape of temptation. If you need help, ask a brother or sister and they will help you. Put on the armor of God, know the Bible and pray. Look, uh, Gain victory over strongholds. Look for the escape. Don't stand alone. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to the Bible book of Ecclesiastes. Is another one of these Wisdom Psalms, it's just a few over from Job. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine. It says this, two are better than one because they have a good return of their toil. For if they fall down, one will lift up his fellow. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. That's why we encourage you to get involved in a life group so you're not alone. Again, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man may prevail against one who is alone, two withstand him, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Don't stand alone. One of the tactics of the enemy is he tries to isolate you. Why do you think all of us were praying our guts out for you all through the pandemic? Because we were forced into isolation. Lastly, when you mess up, repent. Now, Job did a great job all the way through. He had friends that were trying to encourage him, and he stood firm until close to the end. So go back to the Bible book of Job. He did uh, question God Why, God? Why is this happening? Don't you understand? Imagine telling that to the God of the universe who knows everything. Don't you understand? Yes, he understands. And and Job, you know, he went through a whole uh, time telling Job about, you know, where were you when I created the universe? Where were you when I did all the different things? And, and finally, Job understands his issue and he he repents before God. Then Job, verse uh, chapter 42, verse one to six, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak and I will question you and you will make known to me. Had I heard of you by hearing of the ear and now my eyes seeing you, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. The word repent means to turn around. He was going one way in thought and he turned around and he believed God and his sovereignty and his all-powerfulness. See, when we embrace the biblical view of our enemy, it helps us live the victory we have in Christ. We have an enemy. Not some fictitious villain in a story, but a true diabolical foe that wants to destroy us. He is powerful and cunning, and relentless, and resourceful, and yet we can resist him. Know the enemy is limited. Be attentive to the enemy's tactics, and practice the rise of resistance. For embracing the biblical view of our enemy helps us live the victory we have in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for just the truth of your word, and the fact that we can know you, and live for you, and Lord, we know that there's an enemy. We know he's alive and well. And he's working his will and way, seeking to lure us, to lead us astray who know you and love you and to stop people from hearing of your great truth who don't yet know you. And so, Lord, we stand against him and for you. We want to put on that armor of God. We want to understand our strongholds and all of those things we talked about to pick up the sword of the spirit, to pray, to repent when we mess up, looking for that escape. God, help us in all of that. Challenge us to not give in to the enemy's tactics, but to be wise and be faithful followers of you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.